Hello and welcome to episode four of Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. I am Lynn Franks, your host, and today I am very excited to be talking with my friend, the award-winning film producer Alison Owen. Her credits include Suffragette, Sylvia, Saving Mr. Banks, and of course, Caitlin Moran's How to Build a Girl, which we will be discussing in the interview. Right now, we're in the middle of the movie industry awards season. The Oscars are just around the corner, and this year's BAFTAs was by far the most inclusive and diverse it has ever been. Director Sarah Gavron's brilliant film Rocks won Best Casting and also landed newcomer Baki Barquet with the coveted Rising Star Award. The way that Rocks was casted was particularly unique. Sarah and her casting team spent quite a few months going around scores in the East End of London, finding the right girls for the right roles, and they then spent a year in workshops and collaboration, learning about each other, having genuine relationships, and getting to learn how to be an actor. Terrifically well done, all of them. Nomadland's Chloe Chow took the Best Director Award. She is one of the only two women to have ever done so at the BAFTAs. She said about her film, a journey that we should all cherish and celebrate. How we treat our elders says a lot about what we need to do better. More female directors have been nominated than ever, and people of colour are seeing greater representation across many categories. Surely this was the result of the 120 radical changes introduced in the wake of last year's all-white nomination lists. It'll be interesting to see how the Oscars fare in comparison. All this comes at a time of incredible disruption, not only here in the UK, but across the world. Women's rights and bodies are still under attack. And the Black Lives Matter movement is demanding, quite rightly, that we all look further than box-ticking exercises. I think the theme around women's voices and reputations are so important now. It is a time of change. We all want to see a better world, an equal world, and if not now, when? This is why we usually have a seed film showing around this time of year. Last year, we showed the documentary for summer, the BAFTA award-winning film, made by a young woman filmmaker, mostly on her mobile phone, of the city of Aleppo and how it fell to pieces under the regime of the Syrian government. It featured the maker's friend, Afra, a woman leader in community, who now lives in England with her family. And I'm thrilled to say she came to stay here last year. And I had the honour of interviewing her and hearing of her experiences live here at the Seed Hub. The amount of women's voices cutting through these traditional male-dominated industries is beginning to gain more and more momentum. There are more complex stories being told, and as women are in more powerful roles, we have the opportunity to change the narrative, personally, professionally, globally. I'd now like to start talking about my friend Alison. She has been one of those vital voices in the film industry for many years, And in this interview, she discusses how when you are passionate about something you love, like women's stories, you tend to do a better job of it. It doesn't get much better than her recent film, How to Build a Girl. And I'm so glad we had the chance to sit down and discuss her career and the future of the film industry and even a bit about her next project, The Witchfinder's Sister. After the interview, I will guide you on an exercise to see how you can see yourself as the storyteller 
and create your new narrative. I'm with my friend and very, very brilliant movie producer, Alison Owen. (laughs) And we're going to talk about Alison's very illustrious career, which I'm really interested in learning more about, although I've obviously been following you over the years. I was looking through the movies that I know you've made anyway, but I was just checking up on them. And obviously there's Elizabeth, there's um, the the Suffragettes. There's a whole whole array over the years of women-focused films, not exclusively, but a lot. I mean, is that deliberate or how did that all happen, really? Yes, it's, it's funny. People used to, when I had my office in the days where we had offices, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people used to come and make, I said, do you ever make any movies that are not women's names? Because it was funny, like, yeah. not only were they about women, they were all like, Elizabeth, Jane Eyre, Tamara Drew, and then when my partner joined me, it was like, Bridget Jones, Mary Christmas, it was like, literally, they were yeah. all women's names. And yes, it's, del- it's, it's deliberate in the sense that I have always championed um Championed women's voices. Female. I'm, I'm a great um, uh, proponent of, of, of wanting to see the female voice on screen. And I believe very, very much in see it to be it that women need to see themselves on screen yeah. in order to want to take part in the world. But also, it's just natural because that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. So it's not like it's not, it's not like a stretch that I have to make myself do female focus projects. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's natural. It's natural for me if people. You know, like if people say how I choose material is because I like it. And also that's because because if you choose, if you like something, you're better at making the decisions. Yeah, and I presume, yeah, making it a success because you're passionate about it. Film producing is all about a minutia of making endless decisions, one after the other. And if you don't like something, you can't, you you know, yourself. You don't have that objectivity. you You don't have the the passion and the insight. It's like if someone if someone put two glasses of real ale in front of me and says, "Which is the best glass of real ale?" I, say, I don't know. I don't like real ale. How can I tell? And you put two glasses of red wine in front of me. Another story. It's a different story. <laughs> I can tell you because I like it. Uh, well, we'll have some afterwards. <laughs> so tell me how it all started because I know that you were very young when you had the three children. You had Sarah and then Alfie and then Lily. That's all right. before you were 25. Yes. It's quite a feat. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. And looking back, I'm like, well, on earth was that all about? Why did I do that? It was the timing, I think. Yeah. It was back in the day. I, was, I think it's because I, I got pregnant with Sarah, you know, accidentally. Before and how, I was, that you were really young with I was Sarah. very young. I Sarah when I was 18. Yeah. So I got, yeah, I got pregnant with 17 and by her when I was 18. And, um, and I was like a little punk rocker. And then, and I, but I, I carried on. I went to university and had her in the first, had her in the Christmas holidays. Didn't miss a beat, just came straight back to university and carried on. And they were, it was brilliant because I was at um, university college and they, they, I, well, I was there completely serendipitously. They were a college that were very, very proud of their liberal tradition. They were the first college to admit, admit women. And this was 1979 when really people were not, there was not a lot of single mothers around. No. Like it is now. It was an unusual thing. But they got a terrific, rather than being, um, looking down on it, they got terrifically excited by this, <laughs> this like single mother in the midst, and yeah. they were throwing professors out of their rooms so that I could have a breastfeeding oh, room, and, you know, and, and and helping me apply for all sorts of grants and and, uh, 
Oh, how lovely. Uh, and they were fantastic. That's so. like they're still doing things like that yeah. in the universities. Well, except the universities aren't even open. What am I talking about? Let's <laughs> hope so they will be. So what do you think is going to happen? That's a crazy question, I know, but in the movie industry. <laughs> and <laughs> how are we going to see that develop? Is it all going to be Netflix or and Prime? or? Yes, I think it's going to be very dominated by, 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 the, by the streamers. Netflix, obviously, at the, at the vanguard of that, but also Apple and um, Amazon, all those people coming up coming up alongside and behind. It's hard to see how the movie, how the cinema industry is going to reinvent itself. I mean, it was already really problematic even before COVID. Did you say to me that most of the people going to cinema were older generally? Well, they're different. Really, cinema had already boiled down to doing mostly, um, you know, superhero movies, um, horror movies, yeah. musical movies, big Barn- it, 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 they, it, Barnum and Bailey, it's, big events yeah. is what is what people would still turn. Greatest out showman for. on earth, yes, or, or or just just like sort of circus events, yes. like when it's an event movie, they will people will go. But for the kind of movies, a lot of movies that you know people wouldn't turn out for anymore to go see Jane Eyre, really, or even say Mr. Banks or Elizabeth. They're not. Those are not event movies that you have to kind of go to the first weekend so already the kind of movies that i make which obviously i love and people have loved are were already gravitating to netflix and being netflix movies and amazon movies i for me that's fine i'm i've never been someone who is i'm not a cinephile Mm-hmm. I'm not like, ooh, the flicker of the celluloid, the smell of the film, <laughs> the darkened cinema. You know, I, yes, it's nice to be with other people, but really I'm all about the story and the message. And, and I don't really mind if, the, if, the, if that message is being conveyed in the cinema or on a TV screen or on a smartphone. It's mm. fine, as long as you're getting We've actually shown message. some great movies. In fact, showed suffragettes here for International Women's Day on that wall. So maybe people will start showing more movies at home on their wall. And uh, the only thing I would say about watching them on the screens is obviously you're losing in the size some of the details. So that's the only negative. But, yeah, I can see it. It's going to be a different world. It is a different world. It was already happening. It was already happening. And now that's been – I mean, that's the interesting thing about COVID is everything – Things that were already changing because obviously we've had a big shift from analog to digital in so many areas of our lives. Mm. So things were already shifting, but it's speeded up that sh- that change in yeah. the most extraordinary way. Yeah, like, but I love I love I'm really enjoying the Zoom meetings, and I love the Zoom. You know, we have um, our office meetings now, which are all on Zoom. I find very um, democratizing. And particularly for the younger members of our office, I think, you know, we would always, we're a very democratic company anyway, and we would always have meetings, you know, weekly meetings where you discuss submissions and what we're focusing on. But whenever you say, oh, you know, Jasmine or Tracy or whatever, what do you think? They would feel the sort of beam of the boss's eye on them and feel a little bit intimidated. intimidated. Whereas somehow if everybody is on Zoom, on it's like being on Celebrity Squares, everyone's, but somehow it, they they feel it's very empowering yeah you, you say what do you think about something and they'll go oh well actually you know i really yeah. enjoyed that book i didn't think it really got going until the second half but it's got some important issues and they'll they'll they talk in a way time. they will talk in a way that they would not talk funny. in the office that's very and it's really fantastic because you can just get the best out of everybody tell me about the film the katie moran film and i'm a huge huge fan of hers i mean she's absolutely 
brilliant and I've seen the excerpt and I know and I haven't read the book which I'm going to and I know it, it's been out for quite a long time the book hasn't yes, it? Yes, the book's been out oh, ages so, so, I mean I bought, the, I bought the option on it probably five years ago maybe. Oh, is that how long it takes to make it? How long does it take to make a movie then? Uh, well, anything, anything probably 18 months is about the shortest oh, time okay. but more, more often it takes at least three years I would say from from buying the rights to a book to it coming out Yeah, because you've got to get the script right, you have to make the movie, you've got to edit the movie, yeah. you have to run up time to the movie, so yeah. That's, that's and I've, and it, it, it was launched at the film festival and got an award, didn't yes, it? Yes, well, we were at, at, it was at Toronto last year. Cause it oh, was it was at Toronto supposed, last year? It's it? supposed yeah. to be um, a cinema film, you know, yes, and it was going to have, yes, gonna have right. a big cinema release. Yeah, yeah. But we were going to, it's so sad, we were going to launch at Glastonbury. Oh, my God. And I was, I was doing a workshop at Glastonbury this year, 50th year. I think for people in living in Somerset where I live, you know, the whole Glastonbury clothes of not yeah. happening was like, oh, right, mama. for all of but us. But yeah, we were, we were deciding when, when to, oh, when to date the film. Fun. I mean, Catelyn actually had this idea. She was like, why don't we launch it at Glastonbury? Oh my at, God, at that would have been such fun. That would have been so, amazing. And, you know, and Al, cause there's Alfie, sing, Alfie, um, Alan sings in the, he's, Your he's, son. he's, he plays he's a rock singing. star in the film and he sings Does he? In it. How perfect. So he was going to, and, and Guy Garvey wrote from Alba, wrote, oh. wrote the song for him. So he was going to sing with Guy Garvey on stage. Oh it was all going to be great. God. And then of course, poof, that all got. Is it kind of based on Caitlin's story? It's completely based on Caitlin's story. Yeah. I, I, when Ka- Catelyn's first book came out, which was... I say Caitlin, I should make Catelyn. sure I don't say Caitlin. She doesn't mind Caitlin, actually. Oh, okay. She's not one of those people that's always made I was the other Caitlin. She, um, she, when, when How to Be, I'd always liked her as a sort of columnist, but I didn't know her. And then she, 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 um, wrote How to Be a Woman, which came out. And I read that book and I was just staggered by its genius. Yeah. That was, genius. But, but that was more of a, it wasn't so much her story. It was more of a sort of a how to be a feminist manual, really. And I'm, you know, big feminist, obviously. Yes, obviously. But I read this book. I was like, oh my God, this is like, it's like, it's like a Bible. I just want to carry it in my yeah. bag at all times. So, or, you know, whenever you have those arguments with guys or you, and you can't think of the right answer, I'll just, I'll just be like, hang on. Raise your hand five. five. <laughs> Let me just read that to you. So, and, and in fact, I tried to option how to be a woman, but I think she'd already sort of folded it into another deal. And so I did, I didn't, but I was very passionate about it. And so when, and that, I think her other thing that didn't come to anything. And then meanwhile, she did Raised by Wolves, but then she wrote How to Build a Girl and so the, her, her agent called me and said, look, you were so passionate about how to be a woman, so I'm going to give you first dibs on this if you want. And and How to Build a Girl was much more of a story story. So yes. it was actually a much easier adapt into a movie because you could see yes. the, 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 the framework of the story. And um, and it takes place in, what, the 90s, the end of the 90s? It's, 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 it's the 90s. It's about a 16-year-old girl from Wolverhampton Council Estate who sees a world of glamour beyond her window in London and got no idea how to get there. Yeah. And answers an advert in a music, in a, in a, in a, a music, a music paper. paper. And she's not even particularly into music at that point. Her brother's yeah. the one who's into music, but, but he shows her this advert and she answers it and goes to London and gets the job and is suddenly thrown into this nineties, cool, crazy, but very male world. Yeah. Are you working on other projects? Cause I guess this is whole, has filming stopped for now? Like, yes. It must have done. Filming has stopped and we don't know when it's going to start again. I mean, some, some filming is going, but only um, really, I think studios are focused on finishing things that kind of got brought to a halt. And uh, and obviously sort of things that are more like re- 
cooking programs, food programs, those are sort of easier to manage. And I think yes. some of the soaps are starting yeah, up. Yeah. And also the soaps can incorporate social distancing in their storylines. So it's yeah. sort of easier to do. But if you're, if you're do You said that and more, I thought maybe I should be. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, all my, I, I work entirely really in scripted and, um, and I also do, yeah, they're not, they're not really sort of two-handers or anything. I mean, the things I'm trying to get over the line are a thing about, funny, we were talking a bit earlier about witches. Yeah. A thing about um, witch hunting in the 17th century in Essex. Oh, that would be um, interesting. You know, there's a, 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 you know, yeah, I'm doing a version of Jane Austen's Persuasion. It's just a, a lot of different different things. That, but they're, 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 we're going to have to wait till things settle down a bit really yeah. to, to, yeah. to get them. So I'm running again. I mean, we do have. A, I have a series called Ghosts. I saw I it the other night. Did you? Okay, so <laughs> it's really funny. It's really good fun. Yeah. So we, we're just really good fun, we're actually. editing series two of that at the moment, which comes on on in September, and then I'm putting we're putting series three together. So yeah. So yeah, how did you get started? Well, I suppose I, was, I did have identification with Catelyn to that respect. Well, it just how did I get started? That's always such an, uh, uh, a kind of I'm trying to figure out because there's no real. People always say, how do you get into the movie industry or how do you get to be a producer? And the, the sad the sad thing and the good thing is that there's no set way about it. You don't mm. really go to college and get a degree in film producing. Well, you can, but it doesn't really necessarily do, provide do, an entree. So you go in as like an assistant's assistant and then build up? Or? No, I didn't do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, um, Did you go in as a top producer and then build up? <laughs> Not who you know. I tell you what. <laughs> What I was, I, as ever, as ever, everything is to do with being in the right place at the right time and, yeah. and a lot of luck, but being able to bluff as well. And I left, I left university in 1982, which happily was at the birth of MTV and the music video industry and Channel 4 and a whole lot of things that were sort of coming into being. So it was, it was yeah, very much started, Right, and where I, even though I'm older than you, right when I was running the PR agency, so I remember it well. Everything was Soho and Covent Garden, yeah, basically. Yeah, so there I am. It's 1990, I'm 21. It's 1982. I want to get into movies. <laughs> How am I going to do it? And um, the thing, the, the, what, I, what I figured out was that the, the way to do it was through pop videos because that was an industry that was starting. Yeah. When an industry is starting, it's a bit like, like when the internet was starting, it's cowboy country, nobody knows anything. So nobody, you can... Everybody acts like they know everything and actually knows you nothing. You can turn out at a record company and you can say, hello, I'm a music video producer and no one is any the wiser. <laughs> because anyone can say they're anything at that point. So that's pretty much exactly what I did. Was, yeah. Was decide I was a music video producer. And I, 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 I sort of learned a little bit how to do it by... Um, someone told me that the National Film School, which is where a lot of people, uh, directors came from at that point... It's, it's just a different world, isn't it? Yeah. They, they said if you wanted to learn how to produce, and it was, I can't remember who gave me this piece of advice, but it was really great. They said you can, the, the, the National Film School runs courses for directors and writers and cinematographers, but not for producers. So the students are always looking for producers, for people to come in and produce their movies. Right. Because they haven't got any at the school. So you go and wait at the bus stop outside the Coronet, and you get <laughs> on the National Film School bus, and you go out there, and by the time you get there, someone will have asked you to produce their short, their student film. So I did exactly that, and that's exactly what happened. And so I ended up um, making friends. With, and and at, at that point, a lot of the directors of the future, you know, B. Van Kidron, Michael Caine, Jones, they were, were all there. They were in the bus. So, oh, how amazing. So, you know, I made friends with everybody, and I went and produced a student movie, and I sort of learned what dailies were and how things worked. And, you know. It's called Hutzpah from where I come from. <laughs> I had the same. I mean, I understand. I started London. I, when I started, uh, I, as I said, about 10 years earlier, and I started a PR company, and, and um, I was 
PR for Catherine Hamlet. She was my first client. We were both 21 years old. And it's, I, I, I don't know where that confidence comes from, whether it's we inherit it or whether it's somewhere inside ourselves or, it's, or is it just the passion of really loving what we wanted to do and just, you know, just going for it, I guess. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think it's, yeah, it's, a, it's yeah, having, having, having the, the chutzpah to it and also having, I think having a sense of humour, everything at that point in time seems like, we're sort of like how much can you get away with. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, never to take ourselves too seriously. Even if yeah. we took our project seriously. So then I was, uh, so I was also, I was hanging out with, uh, with some people from, I'd made friends with a bunch of people from the comic strip at that point. Oh, really? And yes. So I, after, after my film school experience, after I sort of learned how to do it, I suggested to them that they, that, that I promote them as potential directors of, cause you know how comedic, Rock stars always want to work with comics, and comics always want to work with rock stars. So, so I sold that that idea to some to the record companies, and we I produced probably about five or six music videos. And who was directing them? Adrian Edmondson directed one, Alexi directed one, Keith and Peter Keith and Peter Richardson directed one, and they were also featured in a couple as well. So we sort of got that little industry going, and through that, I got offered a job at Limelight. Please, Siobhan Barron, Barron and, and Steve. Yeah, and they they said, look, we want someone to. Um, run a film and TV department, but we haven't really got enough money to pay somebody. <laughs> so we want, what, what we want you to do is to come along and set up the film and TV department, but also produce music videos at the same time. So, so to sort of... And not get paid. No, I could make money doing From music the, videos, yeah. but then at the same time I'm setting up the music, the, the music and TV thing. Because, yeah. because all the time, they, they needed that so to not... It, not lose their directors yeah the directors all had tv and film ambitions so if they could provide that within that company yeah and limelight were sort they of were the like top. the top they you know? were yeah, they, they did were every the, single they were the funky, decent funky company they were and they were doing a lot of very interesting pop videos yeah and then i did my first movie which was called hear my song at, I remember uh, here myself at, at Limelight. I was through Limelight. Okay, now I remember. I can't remember. I know I saw it several times, and I can't remember anything about it. But I know it was lovely. It was made me cry. I it's a it's a really lovely film. It stars it's it's kind of from you could never get made now. It stars Ned Beatty, that, um, as Joseph Locke and Adrian Edmondson and um, not Adrian Adrian Dunbar. Yeah, and uh, it's a, about a this Irish singer called Joseph Locke who yes uh, has retired and. For various reasons, Adrian, his character wants to get his girlfriend back, and his girlfriend's mother is a huge fan of Joseph Locke, so he wants to bring him back for one last concert. It sounds a very unlikely story. I think but I want to see it again. Actually, I remember it, it being kind of really lovely. Lots of great. Um, he sings in it, sings beautifully. It's anyway. So that movie went. That was my first movie, and it went really well, and got nominated for a Golden Globe, and we had a royal premiere with Lady oh, Di. And I, yeah, yeah it had huge amounts. Of so it was. Um, I remember. Yeah, it was, as as the first movie went, it kind of got me where I needed to be, and got me the. Clout to make I think I movies. went to maybe even saw you it. I probably you was. You, you, were probably at, you were probably at the Royal I Premier. Think I, I don't know about the Royal Premier, but I was definitely at a screening. I remember, yeah, and that was a beautiful film. And from there, I mean, it, it, it looks from here, you know, all these one movie, great movie after another, but I'm sure at the time it was a lot of hard work. And, and I suppose what interests me a lot is the fact that you didn't, although you were working in LA, you didn't even do what I did, which is I went to live there for a few years. You didn't ever leave your roots and leave the UK. Did it ever cross your mind? You yeah, it definitely crossed my mind. I mean, I, lo- I, I loved LA and LA at that time was super fun. Yeah, super fun. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and, you know, I went, there, I went there quite a lot and that was great. I think if I hadn't, if, if I hadn't had three kids, I would have done, I would have done. Yeah. But much as I, you know, 
yes, I am pretty fearless and adventurous, but, but pick it, being a single mother with three kids in London and where you, I mean, London, not where I grew up, but I had a good Love support friends, network yeah. to kind of uproot everyone and plonk down in LA where you don't know anyone. And, and, you know, and, and, and as we were talking about earlier, Britain at that time was quite a supportive place with a safety net, yeah. you know, which, which LA was not. And I remember seeing friends who went out to LA yeah. and if things went well, America is great. Yeah. And if things go badly, it's not, it's not. And people very, unlike, unlike my experiences in London, where if people didn't have money, they could find us a really nice squat to go and live in. Yeah. They just had, you know, they, they went, had the UB40, they went and got the doll and it was fine. Or, you know, in, in LA, if things went wrong, suddenly you didn't have a bank account and your electricity was turned off. And it yeah. Was, and you, and if you were sick, you literally if couldn't go to the hospital. It was a scary place to yeah, be. And I didn't yeah. feel fearless though I was. I didn't yeah. feel fearless enough to pick up three kids yeah. and just go and... And of course, we've heard so yeah. much about the Me Too aspect of the movie industry. And that seemed to be a lot worse traditionally, obviously, over many, many years in the States. And, and over here, was it as bad? I mean, I guess... I, I don't think degree. it was as, as bad over here, but only because people didn't have so much power over here. Because, you know, the, the industry in America is just to the power of 10, or to the power of 100, really, to what it is here. Because it's, here, there, it's very, very high stakes. People make a lot of money. The British film industry sort of toddles along, and yeah. it's nice, and it's an offshoot of people come out of the theatre. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's much more about the arts, I would say, in, yeah. in, in England, which is great. In America, it's an, it's called, it's a film industry and that's, it's called an industry for a reason because it makes lots of money. Yeah. And where you and have LA money, is like an yeah. industry town as well. And know, where you everything. have money, you have power. And where you have power, you have yeah. abuse of power. Yeah. And that's so, so LA was, it was the epicenter of, um, abuse. Abuse. I would yeah. Say, you know, in a way that, do you get it in, in London? Of course. I mean, you know, you get it at petrol station down the road or the phone shop. So yeah. of course you get it, but not to the extreme. Not, that, no. that, 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 I certainly was never aware of it, but then I was in the fashion industry, which was mostly uh, women and um, gay men. Yeah. So <laughs> you didn't really, you didn't really get a, I certainly never had anybody trying to abuse me. But I guess you were in a fairly protective role with a lot of the young actresses you worked with, or young because you were working with those yeah. American horrible, slimy American. Yes, yeah, and, and, yes, it's true, and I don't think I don't think I ever felt the need to be protective in a British. Purely British situation. Somehow. We don't do that in Britain. Well, that's much like Simon Ralph, but you know, like you know, yeah, yeah, just all Nick Power, like, bless him, or any yeah. of yeah. Whereas a lot of the, the you know, it's full of a lot of predators and sharks. Yeah. In LA. So yeah, I would always be even, and and as it turned out with Harvey, there was a good reason for my instincts, which told me no, don't let yeah. anyone be alone with him. You know. Yeah. Not as, it, as it turns out. And are there more women in power in LA now? It seems that way. I mean, it seems the entertainment industry generally, there are a lot more women at the top. Um, I, I remember stories and I, I, don't, I won't name names because I don't remember them to be perfectly honest, but they were women heads of studios who behaved in a very sort of, um, I was going to say masculine way. And I don't yeah. mean that in terms of being sexually creepy, but in terms of their power and being not very officious and not very no, nice. Well, actually. I think that's right. And I think that that's certainly what's changed in since, since I came into the industry. If I think if I came to the industry in, in sort of early mid eighties, even at that point, if you were going, I can honestly say, sadly say that if I was going for a job in the film industry at that point, and I'd heard it was a woman interviewing me, my heart would sink yeah. rather than 
rather than leap. Yeah. Because you, there would tend to be a certain kind of woman. Very aggressive. Women hating women. Yes. Didn't want anybody else reigning on their parade. Yeah. Didn't want any competition. And so, and that, that, that changed very much through the mid eighties and the late eighties. And then I remember women in film starting and people were started to be much more of a sisterhood and much more of a, you know, letting down the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it, which it is now. And, um, I mean, like in the UK, at least women's equality party, which we've both been involved with over the years Mm. made a lot of change, I think, at certain grassroots um, parts of society. It is changing. Do you think that uh, um, Black Lives Matter has already had a, a huge effect huge on effect. the film industry? Yeah. I mean, yeah, huge effect. I mean, well, when I say huge effect, what you have to be careful with, 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 with me too, um, Black Lives Matter, is that it's not just box ticking. Yeah. And that it's, there's real change. Because, the, and, and that's, that, Sometimes you, the danger is that by the, by ticking boxes, people get, are under the illusion that things have really changed when actually fundamentally they haven't. You know, it occurred to me in Toronto actually with how to build a girl. Toronto last year was so, cause it was in the middle of, just after Me Too, everybody was just all about films by women. There's a women's workshop here. There's a special screening section yeah. for women here. There's a whole women's week over here. Yeah. And, yeah. You, know, you open up the variety. It's like women, directors, women, women. Now, at the end of Toronto, when you actually looked at like them reporting on the sales of films that have actually been sold for a good price, do you see one woman director there? No. no. All male directors, all male films. Those are the films that are selling to Taiwan and da da da. Male action movies with male directors. So you're trumpeting all these female directors, but the ones that are actually still making the money and selling are all these. Male, macho. Yeah, yeah, because the world market is still very much like that. And that's just a fact of life. And we we have to keep working to change that. Just because you've suddenly got a lovely article in Variety all about women, 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 doesn't mean that the fundamentals of the industry have changed. And and it's the same with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, everyone's very keen to box tick. Everyone's very keen to take on a black female director, all that. But we have to, you know, you have to... It's much much more systemic than that. We've got to work. We've got to work hard so that when you when you look behind the camera, it's full of women and full of people of all color of all colors. Yeah, and 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 not just the box ticking director yes. or writer or yeah. star in front of the camera. That there's sound recordists and grips and electricians and yes. everybody. And we have a true multicultural yeah. society. Yeah. And I think um, whether it be in the movie industry or generally, I, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but I'm just seeing this shift that's going on to get back to the pandemic situation we're in, that we've become much more or could become much more of a global, of a, of, of a, a global society that truly is a global mm. society. Um, whatever nationality, religion, color, gender, whatever we are, we are the human race. Yeah. And if we are going to move forward, that is how we have to move forward. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview and got a bit more knowledge about what goes on within a movie industry that is changing very rapidly. So let's talk about storytelling, whether you're making a movie, whether you're writing a book, whether you're a poet. What is it we tell ourselves and can we challenge the narrative? One of the exercises that I use in my Power of Seven storytelling uh, coaching is how we can change our narrative, how we can challenge it. So what I'd like you to do is to write a story from your life and write it from a positive perspective. It may not have seemed so positive at the time, but looking back, there will have been much you'll have learned from the whole experience. Once you've written your story, 
why not take it to the next stage and make a little video of it on your phone and become the filmmaker of your own life. If you'd like to share your story with the Seed Tribe, and I'd certainly love to see it, please post it on Seed Women with Lynn Frank's group on Facebook or tag me on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. And I would love you to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. And make sure you join our Seed Network if you haven't already with thousands of like-minded women where you can make friends, promote your business and share your stories. Visit seednetwork.com to find out more. Our next episode will be in two weeks' time, so I look forward to seeing you then on Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. Bye. Bye.